to show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Off the Mats Podcast. It's me, it's Dante. How y'all doing? I think y'all are okay. So this week, my guest is my good friend and returning guest, Miss Tiana Taylor. We're just going to have a conversation. We're going to converse because I haven't really sat and talked with Tiana in a while. So I was like, you know, let's sit down and talk. We, we haven't really, you know, recorded since episode 100. So, and that wasn't us. That was a, a group effort. She helped me though. So thank you with that. So, hey, Tiana, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you, Jake. Thank you for inviting me back on. I know. Absolutely. Thank you for, you know, making the time to to sit down and be on my my uh, podcast here. So I appreciate it. I greatly do. So we were just, um, well, before we start recording, we we're just kind of goofing anyway. It's what, what we do. People don't get to see the behind the scenes. No. Right? <laughs> they, they, they don't get to hear like just the the mess ups or or as i'm trying to like say something clever and it's like oh no those aren't the right words uh, so i one day one day it'll be out there i'm pre- i'm pretty sure there's enough on the podcast that people are like that dude said that wrong i'm going to try to find them and make a complete episode of them all uh but uh tiana and i were uh, you know just kind of talking was like you know, one thing as much as we converse and as many times we record it, one thing that's never really come up is your transition to Madrid and, yeah. and you know, how that all worked out and, and just getting the clubs started over there as well. So just want to kind of have a conversation about that and get a little bit of insight if you don't mind sharing that. No, not at all. So um, it was 2016. And my partner and I had been thinking for several years about leaving the UK. We both didn't want to live there anymore. Um, We both wanted to live in the sun, live in a sunny country. And um, it was between, we were first considering New Zealand and Spain. And the visa process for New Zealand is very, very complicated. So when... I went to a training session at the university I was working at in the north of England. I remember meeting a lady who I'd never seen before. So this was um, um, specific staff training for English for academic purposes, which is one of my specialisms. And I introduced myself to this lady I didn't recognise. And she said that she was from a university in Madrid. And I just happened to mention I would love to live and work in Spain. And she gave me her business card. Um, I sent over my resume. And within literally three months, I was living in Madrid. It all happened very, very quickly. But with opportunities like that, they really don't come around very often. So grabbed it with both hands. And yeah, it was really scary. Moving countries is not an easy thing at all. You, It's very, very normal to focus on everything that could potentially go wrong but I try to focus on everything that could potentially go right and it was a very big life change um but because it happened so quickly I wasn't able to 
deliberate too much I just went for it and honestly I don't regret it at all so I came over six months before Gareth and got everything set up it was very very important to me to live next to a gym because of how late the Spanish timetable runs so um I noticed that the classes here were a lot later, people eat a lot later, everything just happens a lot later. So it was very important to me, um, given my working timetable, my teaching hours, etc., that I was based next to a gym because I, I know myself and I know if I'm tired, I'm more motivated to train if I don't have far to go. So um, that worked out really well because the, <laughs> the fact I'm British made a lot of people very reticent to even let me rent their place because they just outright said, sorry, not prepared to let to you because you're British and you will drink too much. And I was like, excuse me, aside from the fact I'm kind of teetotal, the irony wasn't lost on me there, but it's the whole, it was the whole um, stereotype of the football hooliganism, uh, you know, Brits going to Ibiza or Spain and getting really drunk, that really sticks with people. But you know, not everybody is like that, and I most certainly aren't. But anyway, ended up getting a flat really close to the gym. So that was hugely positive. And then I, the club I was originally training um, under first when I moved into Madrid, when I first moved to Madrid, shut down because the instructor moved back to Brazil. So Gareth was asked to teach uh, different premises and that's how we first started. Yeah, so initially I was the only one on the mat with him. So it was literally starting from, from scratch. And we affiliated with Stealth Manchester, which is where Gareth has trained for about 11 or 12 years and got his black belt under Professor Stephen Campbell. So we affiliated and took it from there really. Okay. And with time, one of his students, who's a, who was on the Cuban national team for judo, said that he would like Gareth to teach at his gym. So we started Stealth um, Madrid Aluche. So we have two affiliate clubs and that's how it all started really. So when you all moved, you said it was basically like within three months, it was just kind of a quick turnaround with doing that. How different was it for you? Like, you know, it was just kind of like fly, go, 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 go. Or was it more like, you know, in those three months kind of leading up to it, you know, was there any hesitancy or, you know, was it just kind of, you know, looking ahead and just, you know, let's see what happens. There, there was some hesitancy. I think I, it would be deeply inaccurate to say otherwise. Um, but the thing is, the the UK pays very well. Well, it did when I when I lived there. Things have obviously changed since Brexit and other things going on. But I just want I wanted more from life, so I was very much prepared to give up particularly the financial benefits um, from working in the UK to explore new avenues. That was very important to me. So of course there was, there was some hesitation because Gareth didn't know Spanish. We would be living on one salary, which would be mine. And obviously you do question, is this gonna work out? Is it not? 
but it's a, it was very much about quieting those doubtful and unhelpful negative voices and focusing on what could go right instead of focusing on what could go wrong. And a lot of the comments from my colleagues in the UK were along the lines of, oh, you're very brave. It's very courageous to, you know, give up everything and move abroad. But it's it's like, well, I do think the pain of regret is a lot worse than the pain of something not working out. And I always told myself, look, I've got my qualifications, I've got my experience. Worst case scenario is that we end up moving back to the UK. And okay, the idea was to not be there, but in at the end of the day, it's not so bad that you can't live. So it was definitely worth, worth the risk. I say take the risk or lose the chance. Sure. I think that's something that I know even for myself and a lot of people, you know, we look at it, it's like, as you're about to take this leap, you get into this, this kind of scary territory where you're like, well, what if it doesn't work? What if this doesn't, you know, go the way I plan? And like you said, well, okay, then just reset. It's not like, you know, you jump over and it doesn't work and then you just kind of, okay, I guess I'm going to sit here in the street now. To be honest with you, it didn't turn out the way I planned. But I think if I had stayed in the UK in my comfort zone, I would have deeply regretted it. I'd be quite wealthy, but I would have deeply regretted it. So sure. um, as somebody who is quite focused on self-growth, self-improvement and um, experiencing new things, it, I definitely don't regret it. Well, good. It's you know people put a lot of emphasis on like you said if you were to say in the uk you did like have a lot more money be a lot more wealthy but it's like would you be happy though like, yeah. yeah so so good i'm glad you know the transition worked out for you and you know, like you said you don't regret it so you know that's the key point is you don't regret it because if you know if you're here you know, many years later, you're like, ah, I'm still here. Like, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> why, like, why are you still there then? Ah, I regret every moment of it. Oh, that sucks. Like, can't you go back? Maybe. Yeah, I. Do you know what? I do find that people sometimes have a hard time being honest with themselves because, like, they've made a big change and they've put so they've invested so much into this change that. For some people, it's hard to admit that, okay, this hasn't worked out and they're kind of intent on sticking out. But if you're ultimately not happy, then that's, for me personally, that's not a road I would go down. I would just make make some changes. Yeah, I think a lot of people, it's, it's like the ideal of being stubborn. It's like, you know, I, I've got friends that, you know, they've made a decision and they know they're wrong and it is bombing. It's like, you're just looking at them. It's like, Hey man, let me, can I help you to like something please? And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, they justify why they have to stick it out. And it's like, you don't have to justify being miserable. If, exactly. If it ain't working out for you. So that, that happens too often with too many things, whether it be, collecting action figures or you know specific sports more so as kids so well, yeah good 
And when you all got the club started, you said, you know, it was just you and you and your partner in the beginning, just you two on the mats. You know, did you do any kind of like how'd you, you know, I guess draw people in? Like what really got people kind of rolling? And when did you feel like once that started happening, what was that point where you felt like, okay, now the ball is rolling. Now we're in the now we're comfortable. So basically the difference that we bring to the table is that all of our classes are taught in English. And you might have some other clubs in Spain or in Madrid that where they have um actual students who speak the language, but we give I say we, it's actually Gareth teaches everything solely in English. I translate if necessary. So at the beginning, I had to translate everything. Uh, well, actually, in the beginning, it was literally just me. But as we started building up through advertising, um, a part of it was through word of mouth. But an issue that we had is that people didn't know anything about us, really. We were just two random British people in Madrid. So there wasn't that level of confidence or I would say as well trust because people didn't really know us on a personal level. So um, the way things work in Spain is quite like many other countries is but particularly here, a very big cultural difference between, I would say, here in the UK is that people are obviously off in both places recommend things and clubs or whatever it is by word of mouth. But here that has a lot more weight, I would say, than the UK, generally speaking. And it's the same in the job sector and lots of other areas as well. So we did advertising, um, we started a website and because of Gareth's lack of Spanish, it was me responding to all the calls, emails, messages, etc. Having an Instagram and Facebook page obviously helped and doing advertising and marketing on that um, helped us build up the clubs. And I, th I would say it was, in 2020, I, myself in particular, I was able to look back and say, yeah, we've done, we've done well here. This is the club, both clubs are really growing. But then obviously then COVID hit and everything had to close. And I was thinking, goodness, are we going to start from scratch? Because, you know, we then invested in um, some jigsaw mats and we're giving privates at home but i know i know we weren't we weren't the only ones but we obviously could not do any jiu-jitsu in either of the clubs and the police were very very strict about it i know of some places in the uk who where people were found training during covid and they got a warning whereas in spain it was very much a here's an on the spot twenty thousand euro fine so that was not worth the risk at all that was just way too much um so we were doing private classes um from home and then actually thankfully after covid it did take a little bit of time to get back to our previous numbers because we had people who had left spain for what due to COVID and having family in other countries and people's work situations had changed. Some people had lost their job. Some people had changed their, their occupation. But then on the other hand, we had 
quite a lot of new people really wanting to get into it because during lockdown they had the chance to research it more and find out a little bit more about what it involved so we had a lot of uh, fresh faces as well but yeah it did it did take a little while um our second club in particular that i mentioned that's the where the owner it was part of the cuban judo um squad that in particular has grown quite substantially but both are doing really well and the level of english is of everybody actually has improved to the extent where i don't need to translate as much and that's quite good because i can focus more on the technique because when when you are listening really carefully to make sure the non-native english speakers understand the intricacies and the details of the technique you can get so focused on use of language that you're then focusing more on that eat than actually watching the technique and making sure everyone understands to find that for actually ultimately you don't understand but I, I have to do that less and less now but i genuinely don't mind doing it i'm glad that you know despite COVID, you know hitting you all like everyone else i'm glad that you know everything's going well with it and yeah as soon as you said you know around 2020 you know you felt pretty good about it. It's like, as soon as you said 2020, I was like, oh no, I don't know, I don't know if you know this, but in 2020, <laughs> COVID hit. Yep. But yeah, that was a real, it was so disappointing. I mean, it was really, obviously more than anything, the deaths and how people were being affected was massive, particularly in Spain, because it's very common here to get the standard greeting is to kiss people on the cheek. And with the nature of COVID and how it spread, kissing people is much more risky in terms of infection than for example the british or the american standard handshake and another cultural difference here is that people live at home with their parents to a much higher age than for example the uk or the us or australia and you it's very common to have grandparents living with you as well so in that sense um somebody who's young and healthy who would not necessarily get ill may be part or may have passed um the virus on to older family members and elderly family members so yes yeah, spain was hit quite severely in that sense so obviously that was the most distressing thing seeing so many people die and i know i have particular teammates who lost uh, family members of different ages so it was all a bit uncertain as in most places what it was going to be like with the reopening of gyms but thankfully uh, we survived and i'm very grateful to our members for that for being loyal and the new people and to the new people who came in as well good good that that was one of the things over here in the us you know early on they got to a point where they're like we may never shake hands again i was like relax I think we'll be okay at some points. Like, and that's not to downplay COVID. It, it was a scary thing because you saw a lot of people getting sick. Um, a, a good friend of mine, her mother passed away, but it, recently from it, it, it's it was one of those things where we all felt like, okay, COVID's going away. We're I think we haven't really heard much about COVID. I ended up getting COVID. Actually, everyone in this house got COVID. Sorry, I brought it back to them. Um, pin, you know, me, I always try to make, you know, light of situations, you know, on my own behalf to try to keep a smile on my own face and, and, you know, make my family laugh. 
and I'm making jokes about me having COVID because I, I, I did feel fine. You know, I was a little weak. And then it turned out that, you know, there was a post on Facebook a couple of days prior. I, I didn't even read it, but my wife told me and she said um, a good friend of ours, her mom had passed away and it was just. I don't know. I think that was reality. It, it hit. It was like, oh shit, we can, like, you know, this this does kill people. So, and she wasn't unhealthy. She was uh, relatively healthy, and she was triple vaxxed and everything. So, it was just a very COVID's a very scary thing. So, but I'm glad you all made it through it, bounced back, and and all was well. You know, with the club. So, thank you. Uh, Good. Um, when you were making the decision to move from England to either New, Zeal New Zealand or uh, Spain, yeah, I know, I guess, you know, being where you were, you're kind of like complacent, not happy, you know, you wanted to change. Uh, what was it about New Zealand that, you know, made that an option? So the appeal with New Zealand had a lot of to do with the scenery actually it's a very very beautiful country um the education system the high education system there is very good so there were job opportunities for what i specialize in at university level and it just seemed like a much more relaxed culture and way of life and i really like the idea of being outdoors in all that beautiful nature that i, I have to admit i'd seen it secondhand through my sister who speaks very highly of the place and also in photos and documentaries and things. But in addition to it, how scenic, et cetera, it is, um, being close to Australia and also the, the academic environment there, what I, what I knew um, was quite appealing actually. But ultimately to get there is, is an extremely long journey. And I had the concern of, um if there was any family emergency getting back to the uk could be somewhat problematic um I, at the time my sister was living in japan she's now living in korea and when my grandmother passed away she was unable to get back because it happened so suddenly so that was another consideration as well um but now if i need to go to back to the uk i'm only one hour and 50 minutes from london so it's it's quite convenient so whenever we well at least in some circles when we think about new zealand we always think about all the wildlife and and things that can kill us so like, <laughs> wow you want to go to new zealand australia and that area and all that mm -mm, okay have fun with that you know, <laughs> you know what my you know just what kind of wild spider might get me in the middle of the night. So I don't know, but it didn't also, like you said, I think the big thing is like the distance away from everything is just always forget how big this world is and how far everything is away from each other. Even when, you know, speaking with you before talk about uh, Barcelona, I was like, Oh, yeah. how far, how far away is that? And I'm thinking like, oh, it's probably 30 minutes away. <laughs> like oh wait a minute that's far that's really far but i guess the same could be said about the u.s here where 
you know, it, it would seem like, oh, Texas can't be too far from Maryland. Ah, yeah, it is. It's pretty, pretty far. So, yeah, I've heard, uh, I've heard people mention like you can, I mean, someone I'm sure will correct me if I'm wrong on this, which is quite likely that I'm incorrect. But I've heard um, people say that, you know, you can be in one state and drive for a whole day and still be in that state. So, yeah. you know, that, yeah, the US is huge. It's It's very, very big. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's the U.S. has. We were talking about it last night, Sarah and I, my wife and I. You all know Sarah. Everybody listen to Sarah. Just about a few episodes. Um, we were talking about how the U.S. has such, you know, diverse, you know, landscape. Like Maryland, especially Maryland's really weird, like that, where, you know, we can drive for about an hour or so and end up at the beach, but then go 15 minutes in the other direction when you know in the mountains so and also our our climate our weather is weird here too because it changes know, a lot doesn't it it does change yeah. a lot it, it like i think there was one one week it was like 70 degrees and then the next week it snowed and, and it was like well you know we're approaching spring at this point it was like geez louise but you know it's just the way of the world i guess so, and, you know, again, with you, you know, cho- choosing between those two places, like, was, were there any other, like, destinations kind of in mind or just, you know, Spain and, and New Zealand were like the top two, there's no number three, this is, you know, these two things be so far away, you know, as far as uh, so different that you know you had to go there so another big consideration was the us specifically california and i know there are a lot of spanish speakers in california but my idea was to become completely fluent in castellano which is spanish spoken in mainland spain and then ultimately end up in the us however with um a lot of different things going on over there a lot of tensions etc and the fact it is also quite difficult to get a visa a sponsor visa because it it's um proving that you are needed rather than hiring somebody from the us and i saw the same issue during my master's degree with a couple of um girls on my course who were studying the same degree program and they wanted to stay in the uk but again being sponsored sponsored for a visa is quite difficult unless you do something very, very specific. Now, back back then, I wasn't at the same level with academia as I then got to. So it would have been it would have been harder. It would have been harder. So yeah, the US was another consideration as well, specifically California, having having trained there, um, having actually been there. I I am a big fan, not of the prices, though, it's very expensive. (laughs) It's very expensive. Every time I think about California, it's I've never been there. I've I don't know. I think the furthest west I've been is Colorado, which that's beautiful too. So I, I consider at one point just packing up going to Colorado, but then I was like, eh, nah, let's not. I I, I was not at all like Tiana, and <laughs> said let's go. I, I was like, yeah, let's go, and then I said, ah, just kidding. 
let's hang out here. And, you know, at that point, I met my wife, though, and the rest is history. But everything works out, doesn't it? Everything happened, yeah. pans out in the right space and time that it's meant to. Well, yeah, that was the path. So, I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like had I gone to Colorado and, you know, just what that world would have been like for me, you know, how different I would be. Like what I have, would I have, you know, drifted towards jujitsu at all? Probably not. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But I've never been to California, but I know so many people there. And I'm like, dude, I have to go. It, it, and it looks beautiful there. It's just like, it was yeah. just such a different world, it seems like. So, and hopefully, you know, anyone that's listening that, you know, is in California, you know, can can confirm that don't don't rain on our parade we're like yeah well <laughs> this happens and that happens and this happens it's like yeah but we don't know that let us let us believe what we want to believe because <laughs> there are those people like oh yeah well it's not so great like it's expensive yeah we know that we covered that yeah well it's it's sunny all the time yeah kind of like that <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing so like right now, today here in Maryland, it has been sunny, cloudy. Is it going to storm soon? And then it went back to sunny. So I don't know. You never know what you're getting like, here. Yeah, it's what it sounds a bit more like British weather. That's why, generally, again, generally speaking, us Brits tend to take an umbrella in England where, where we, uh, whenever we go out, because it could be sunny one minute and then we have a massive downpour. So be prepared is the message, really. Boy Scouts. That's the Boy Scout model. Be prepared. <laughs> like, well, even yesterday when we were moving the elliptical, it, it was sunny. But while I'm driving, there are all these clouds. I was like, oh, my God, dude, it's going to pour. And the elliptical is going to be in the back of a pickup truck. So there's no cover. And I was worried. And, and it didn't rain at all, though. But it looked like it was, it was going to, I think, um, even at work, we got some painters doing work, and on Friday they didn't do anything because it was supposed to rain, and it was fine most of the day. <laughs> then it rained for like twenty minutes, and then it was fine again. So it it's we just never know, and that's fine. So one of the interesting things about my first trip back to the UK after living in Spain was how how much it hit me how low the clouds are and that sounds a bit strange but it almost felt like it was so gray it was suffocating because in Spain it obviously does get cloudy but this it was winter but the skies will still be blue and it's cool yes but it's not it does get it does get very cold in for example January February but at this point it was around December and I was just used to it being a little chilly but um, very blue skies with some cloud. So I three months later, I go back to see my family. And the, yeah, the first thing that hit me was this feeling of like suffocation that the clouds were really low. But yeah, I did feel like, yeah, the, the weather really does impact your mood. And that had a lot to do as well with wanting to move because it was it was just depressing going to work in the morning and you leave the house and it's dark. You might come home at maybe even as early as four, four thirty, and it's still dark. So it 
yeah i do get affected by the weather rightly sure. or wrongly but it's i'm much happier living in spain much happier all around oh good good yeah the weather we've had this conversation i know for me there'll be some days i'm you know fully energetic and just you know everything's going right but it's sunny yeah and then those days where i get up and it's cloudy and i'm just like I was, i'll shoot you a message you're like Are you okay he's like yeah yeah man it's just it's raining I'm like oh okay <laughs> get, i get it now which typically i i used to typically enjoy the rain i loved when it would rain i think just as i've gotten older i'm like man the rain is trash i hate this stuff like every time i'm out in the rain i go in the house all my clothes are wet and then i'm cold but as a kid, that didn't matter. It was just like, hey, rain, let's go splash. You know, I think about it. Sophie, she loves going out in the rain. She loves splashing in the puddles. In the puddles, yeah, I can imagine. All makes sense now. Like Kids love rain, adults don't. I get it now. But over, over in Spain, we if we have like a shower, um, it will be a very intense but very short-lived one. It's just such a shame that because I do so much jiu-jitsu and therefore have so much washing out on my mm. balcony, that in that very short but intense shower, my geese get absolutely soaked, even if it just lasts 10 minutes. It's, it's a very intense downpour, but then it will clear and be sunny again. It just uh, takes the humidity out of the air. Oh, see, yeah, over here, they, we, we had a get-together last week and it was hot. I think it was like 91 Fahrenheit. I'm not sure what that is, Celsius. But it was hot. It wasn't pleasant. And then we were like, well, if it rains for just a minute, though, it's going to get worse because of the humidity. The air is going to get thick. And then we're going to be even more uncomfortable. It it didn't at all. Uh, this was around midday. Once it got, I think, around 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, it cooled off. And always right in the world and it could have rained all it wanted then at that point but now nah, we're good it's such it's such a british thing to talk about the weather and because i because we talk a lot and i always say oh it's sunny or it's this or it's that that's that is very very british it's funny because over here well i don't know if it's so much that anymore maybe this was an older thing it's like talking about the weather was kind of a um small talk like you, you yes know, yeah. just nervous or trying to break that tension but i talk about the weather because i don't know I'm, I, I always find the weather actually interesting so whenever you mention it i'm like yeah that you know i i guess because i always want to know what's going on in the rest of the world though so if i'm yeah. talking to someone like but i have friends in sweden and you know just in my mind i'm like oh it's always snowing in sweden there's always snow not correct at all that's, that's <laughs> wrong but in my brain it's always snowing over there so when i speak to my friend johan you know i do want to know like hey dude so what's the weather like over there like is it like pleasant is it chilly you know you guys got snow yet dude it's july yeah just, <laughs> just I, I don't know I, I have questions i just need answers so yeah whenever you mention the weather it doesn't seem odd to me at all it, it's it's almost like it kind of rolls into where my brain is anyway. Like, oh, yeah, the weather. That That is something I do think about with other countries, uh, I guess specifically 
like Madrid and and you know when it gets hot over there, um, like AC, like like I don't know if it was you or someone else that mentioned in Europe, like a lot of places didn't have like central um, air conditioning. Yeah, that's very common. It, that that's just a general thing, you know, across the board. Like, or is that? Like, why is that? Like, they like, <laughs> like central air is dumb. Like, <laughs> like we're tough. I'm like, mm -mm. <laughs> I'm a punk. Give me that AC. I have actually heard a lot of Americans comment on the lack of AC here. And in the UK, it's not something we necessarily have in all our, our houses or apartments. And it's very common not to have it here in Spain. But the thing is here, the weather is so much hotter and in the summer it can reach 45 degrees Celsius, which is 113 Fahrenheit. And you absolutely need AC, you absolutely do. Uh, we have it in our main living room and I really struggle to sleep even with extra fans and ventilation during the height of summer. And actually during lockdown, because we um, matted our bedroom we put the bed in the living room under the AC unit and um, slept with the balcony open until it was time to put on the air conditioning. And that worked really effectively. But the only problem is the garbage here gets collected every morning at like 3 a.m. So it's very, very efficient in that sense in terms of recycling and garbage collection. But then the noise from that will keep you awake. So when that happened, close the close the balcony doors and then put on the ac but it, it can get very uncomfortable very uncomfortable yeah that just up to 113 fahrenheit that's crazy just the i mean it gets you know over here you know we have our moments too but that's i can't even imagine and then not having you know the central the central air uh flowing during COVID, well, as soon as COVID kind of started up, we were going into, I think, May and June. Our AC wasn't working. And oh, I, was kinda, I was in denial. Like, I was like, because we didn't really need it in May. And Sarah mentioned, I don't think the AC is working. I was like, no, we're good. Like, it's fine. You're like, no, you're imagining and then when it got when it got into June, I was like, okay. I think we went into the first or second week of July without AC. And our neighbors had a window unit that they let us borrow. And it's weird because we we I'd never spoken to those neighbors. My I guess Sarah had encountered them a few times, but they, they let us borrow their AC units. And it, it helped a little bit. I don't like to sleep with my doors open. I have to have all doors closed, um, bedroom door, closet doors. I'm just, I can't sleep with doors open at all. And during that period, we had the, the AC unit set close to Sophie's room and her doors open. So for us to get any effect from it, we had to sleep with our door open. And that was such a stressful time for me. I wasn't even worried about the the stuffiness and no AC. I was worried about the door being open because, you know. Yeah, if you're not used to it, then it, it feels quite strange, doesn't it? I just feel like somebody's watching me. 
someone's standing at the door just looking over me and it's like i don't know it, it's it's weird to me people need yeah. to sleep with your doors closed so <laughs> being weirdos uh but yeah that you know I, i've always wondered that and it was like is that like kind of a standard thing or is it just a you know, maybe this individual didn't have central air or, you know, if that's kind of a common thing. So interesting to know. It is very common to have apartments over here that don't have any um, AC at all. That's very common. But it's, it's, it's for me as a Brit, although I'm used to weather that's not particularly good. Um, I don't know. It means I don't notice the cold as much as the Spanish typically do. But the heat, I definitely notice because i'm more used to having one day of sun <laughs> over over um the summer so yeah it i definitely need ac definitely as do i oh and, and sophie will say as well because i i'm when it comes to jujitsu i'm the sweaty guy in the gym like yeah I, I, yeah i know what you mean I it's I put on my gi and I start pouring. They're like, dude, we haven't even started. It's like, don't judge me. And I, I could be doing just a small task here at home, you know, whether it be I don't know, moving a moving an elliptical machine down the stairs. I start pouring with sweat, and my daughter will come over and like kiss my forehead. So, ew, you're sweaty. Oh, bless her. I was like, uh, you know, you know, stop judging me. <laughs> So, <laughs> I always actually have to keep a mat, sorry, not a mat, a towel by the mat because I'm the same. I always shower before training, and I see it as my body being extremely efficient in ca um, calling me down, and that's why I sweat so much. But, um, yeah, I have to have a, a towel for jujitsu because I, I'm the sweaty girl in the gym. So, in the summer, when it reaches 45. 43 and um, we generally do more no gi because again it's really hot but we still do some gi but like you said before we even start i'm already sweating my my i <laughs> pre-war my training partners they know they're cool with it but yeah it it is particularly tough training in the summer but in a sense it's kind of good because if you can withstand that heat mm -hmm. um you kind of get used to for example, when the when the gi covers your face and you're sometimes struggling to breathe, that becomes much more normal. It's still, don't get me wrong, it's still uncomfortable, but you become more used to it because of the the weather and the environment in which we're training. I understand that completely. Um, I used to, even like in the summertime. So at my gym, we used to do like no gi July, mm -hmm. just because it's so hot. Then they, you know, kind of went away from that. But we, it, you know, when we would have, you know, just regular gi class in the summer, sometimes I'd wear a sweatshirt or a hoodie underneath, just almost kind of like a self-torture. But, uh, you know, because there was this thing in my mind where it's like, yeah, if you could, if you could withstand it during like, like just being uncomfortable, you can, you know, do it no gi, you know, regular gi, whatever. Sometimes I do things that don't make sense, but it makes sense to me. I can't actually even wear spats under my gi because I just get too hot. So 
I it's weird because it's a foreign thought to not have on spats underneath for me. I wear shorts, don't get me wrong, but yeah, I can't wear full length spats. No I, way. Like, like if, if I'm just wearing shorts, I feel extremely, extremely uncomfortable. If I'm wearing spats, it, it just it just feels like regular life. I feel like everything's good. Sometimes I sometimes I just wear spats though. Like under my sweatpants. I don't know. I like I just do goofy things sometimes. That's, just, that's more common than you realize, actually. I don't do it, but I know people who do. Like I don't do it like I so sometimes I would have to go to class right after work. And early on I used to wear spats under my work clothes, but I also drink a lot of water throughout the day. So I have to go to the bathroom a lot. So it became as like, okay, I can't go through this task <laughs> of taking off multiple layers just to go to the bathroom. So now, and then it got to a point where what I would do is I would take my lunch break later in the day and then change clothes on my break. So that way it's like maybe only an hour, hour and a half before I have to leave for class. But Either way, they're just sometimes randomly, I will wear spats because, and, and rash guard. I'll wear a rash guard around the house, just like his regular shirt. My daughter, like, pokes my belly. Um, so with jiu-jitsu and everything, how's that going for you right now? It's, it's going quite good. I had seven weeks off due to some sur more surgeries that I needed, but these... Thankfully had nothing, I say thankfully, they had nothing to do with jiu-jitsu, um, but unfortunately they, the problem came out of nowhere and it meant I couldn't compete in four competitions I had planned. So um, mm. a couple, just over a couple of months ago, I remember feeling quite um, sick in class and needing to stop rolling because of pain in my stomach that was radiating through to my back and I didn't think too much of it but then it happened it happened more and more and became more intense so I went to see my GP she examined my back and said that I had a lot of like muscle spasms and a lot of knots but she didn't actually examine my stomach and a week later I ended up back there and upon examination she thought I um had an issue with my gallbladder because it had previously come up that this might be a problem and when she looked on the system and saw that I didn't have my gallbladder removed she wanted me to go for further tests so they were arranged for the following Tuesday but it was two days later it was on the Saturday morning after having seen her I was in a significant amount of pain and I knew it wasn't normal so I took myself to the emergency room and um, I knew something was wrong. I knew I shouldn't be in that much pain. But at the same time, I was so physically tired that I just wanted to sleep. And I go to the emergency room, I get examined. I have, um, the, the doctors are concerned about my reaction upon uh, my stomach being touched. So they sent me for an emergency CT scan and it showed I had appendicitis and a ruptured cyst on my right ovary. So in a, in a weird way, it was a relief to know that they could identify what it was because as 
I don't know if listeners know, but I know you know, I had a quite severe issue with my liver that didn't get a name for well over a year. And it was so distressing having all these tests and getting no answers. So the fact that they were able to identify it on that day and I had surgery within two hours, they took out my appendix, um, they cleared up the fluid from the ruptured ovarian cyst and although I was in a lot of pain I felt confident everything would be okay first and foremost though I was absolutely gutted I was really disappointed I wasn't going to be able to compete because my last um, competition was the Europeans and that was my big comeback competition after two ACL and meniscus surgeries so that was incredibly disappointing but on the other hand I was hopeful because I knew the recovery time wouldn't be anywhere near comparative with that of ACL surgery. And then I was still in hospital and I got discharged. I think it was about four days later, a very similar pain started to return. So I mentioned it when I had a checkup with my surgeon and he sent me um, straight for an emergency ultrasound and blood tests. And he told me to come back up and see him once I got the results. So had the blood test done, they said, they couldn't give me the results that day because obviously I was in outpatient treatment. I wasn't in the emergency room, but I did have my scan and the ultrasound showed I had quite a lot of fluid built up in my pelvis. So went back to share these results to the surgeon. He was actually in theatre doing major a major operation. So I'm sat there waiting in the waiting room. And as is very common in Spain, um, due to the culture, um, people have a siesta during the day and things will often close between 2 and 5 p.m. So I'm sitting in this waiting room and it gets to the point where I need to lay down. So the very kind receptionist let me do so. But when it got to 2 o'clock, she was like, well, the department's going to be closing. Because don't forget, this is not um, the emergency room, it is outpatient so I'm waiting to see my surgeon and I ended up being so unwell that she physically helped carry me down to to the emergency room and my bloods were repeated and I needed emergency surgery again to remove this buildup of fluid in my pelvis and that's when I that was the first time I, I would say I actually felt a bit scared because I didn't have a concrete reason for is happening and the doctors couldn't really give me one so as a competitor I'm thinking is this going to be a periodic repetitive problem that they can't identify the cause of so I was um, rushed back into theatre and um, this time though the risk of infection was considerably higher because I hadn't yet healed from my first abdominal surgery because that was like less than a week before so um, I remember coming around from the general anesthesia and I can't breathe. And this is nothing I've experienced before. And this, this is my 17th time on the operating table. And I'm trying to wave my hands to say, I can't breathe. Something's wrong. I can't breathe. And I can't physically talk. So I'm literally flapping like a seal to try and get their attention. And that's when they took the tube out of my throat and I was gasping for air. It was that that was scary because I was I had the ex 
um, procedure explained to me. It was all meant to be very straightforward and it was straightforward, but the tube wasn't mentioned. And because I had had surgery less than a week before and that wasn't, I wasn't intubated, I could breathe fine. Um, I didn't, that was a really unexpected and quite scary because I'm awake, I'm trying to talk and I physically can't get the words out. And that generated a lot of panic. Um, I hope anyone listening to this who's due to have surgery doesn't suddenly develop health anxiety, but that's definitely not what I would want for anybody. Um, but it was, it was unpleasant because I didn't, I didn't expect it and I'm trying to talk and I can't physically get the words out and I'm trying to say I can't breathe. So that was a little bit, um, uncomfortable, very uncomfortable actually. And then after that, I had a minor procedure done to examine my intestines. Thankfully that came back clear and, um, I did have to take time off training to get fully healed, but now I'm back on the mats. I'm um, rolling okay. My cardio still needs work because I think in jiu-jitsu, it's a different type of fitness. I've seen my teammates have just a week off for, a, for example, a holiday, nothing to do with medical reasons, and they just gas out when they come back. So having seven weeks off, um, meant that I knew it would be a little bit difficult at first, but it's it's getting easier. And I'm going back to my strength training because I had I've had quite a lot of time off from that as well. So yeah, jiu-jitsu and weights are my focuses at the moment. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember uh you telling me about the the tube and you know just as you're this uh explaining it now I forgot and I was like you know, it's like I'm on the edge of my seat, like, wait, what was wrong? Wait, what was going on? And then once you discover, like, oh yeah, now I do remember that. Yeah, that can be if, if you're not prepared for that. Yeah, it's like, well, what the hell is going on here? Like, I can't even imagine what what was going, you know, through your mind because you know you you're coming to, and then like, oh shit, they did they take out my voice box? Um, it, it was scary. I'm not gonna lie. But then panicking obviously made it worse. I was sure. like, I can't breathe. And I'm trying to communicate the fact I can't breathe. So all I can do is like wave my hands. And yeah, that, that was deeply unpleasant. Not nice at all. No, no not at all. Uh, I mean, I'm glad though you're back on the mats. And like I always say, everybody loves a good comeback story. So yeah, I just... Back. I understand. I've had a, I've had a couple of comments. You trying to get as much surgery as you can or something because it just obviously I've had a I've had a lot of surgery now, and it's been for a lot of very different reasons. But only two of my surgeries have been related to jujitsu, so um, it's other issues with my organs not function as they should that have needed, which is why I've needed so much surgery. But I I really really hope that I've. That's it now. I can draw a line under it and I don't need any more. But, you know, the unpredictable nature and the roller coaster that life is means sure. you never know. Absolutely. You know, it's you know, like you say, you had so many, so many different uh, surgeries in my mind. I'm like, relax. It's not a competition. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Yeah. And I giving out medals. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, thank you for sharing that, you know, just 
you know, um, certain listeners weren't aware. I think last time we did speak, it, it was right after uh, Europeans and um, and then, you know, just, you know, all of this happened, unfortunately. But I'm happy that you're back out there. I'm happy that, yeah. you know, you, you're, you know, marching back to get back on the mats and, and competing again. So I'm excited for that and can't wait, you know, to see you out there and and winning and just Thank kicking you. ass. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sure. Um, I have some questions here. Okay. Just random, um, different questions that I'm going to ask. Not a bunch of them. As I'm looking at, it, I was like, "Ooh, what's going to be the most fun?" Let's let's play with these questions here. <laughs> um, ooh, I like this one. I like this one. I think I'm going to do four of them. Okay. All right. What's a phrase or word that you overuse? Basically. Hmm. Okay. Huh. Really? You'll notice it from now on. You'll notice yeah, it in my voice. Yeah. <laughs> now I am. Like, geez. That, I shouldn't even ask that because now I'm just going to zero in on that every time. Now, like, hmm, okay. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. I would def yeah, definitely. Basically. Yeah. And even as I was reading the question, I was trying to think, like, what's something I've heard her say? multiple times or just a whole lot i was like uh and I never even made note of basically being being it you'll notice it now <laughs> oh yeah now i'm gonna go back and listen to all the messages play all the <laughs> podcasts back and everything i was like oh my gosh she does i had a teacher who would say um a lot i think one of the students this was in high school freshman year one of the students sat there and counted how many times he said um in a class i think he said uh, uh over 150 times oh wow it's like it's like geez louise dude like they got i don't know how many times i say during a podcast because i edited them all out but <laughs> you know like i i probably well i've gotten a lot better about it so because i'm aware with the podcast so what I do is I slow myself down. Yeah. Because if I'm talking too fast, there are a lot of ums and, you know, and like, and okay, guys. So, yeah, that, that's what the teacher said a lot as well. Okay, guys. So, yeah, he, he was kind of a dick anyway. Uh, <laughs> what's the talent that you would most like to have? Good question. Um the ability to choreograph hip-hop okay. you know that's good answer good answer there are times i'm listening to music and i'm just sitting here and i'm like you know like i play out these like pretend scenarios in my mind of like these dance scenarios yeah so do i yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like you know, like, oh man, that's kind of weird, but it's so fun. Like, I'll just be, it, yeah. it's just any song. I'm just sitting there, like any up tempo song, and it's like, oh wow. Like, I wonder if I, I missed my calling. Maybe, maybe I should have went into the, there was a dance studio next to where my old gym was, and I considered okay. um, going there and doing it was ballroom dancing though, but I considered 
um, signing up for that along with uh, with jujitsu. Jessica, I was trying to collect hobbies. I think it's just sometimes I need stuff to do. Yeah. Like, I need other things to do. I can't because it was like I don't want to be sitting around all the time. So I was like, maybe if I do jujitsu and then I can leave jujitsu and go walk down a couple doors and then do ballroom dancing. Because my, my uncle, he teaches ballroom dancing. So I think that would have been kind of another cool way to connect with him. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, choreographing hip hop. Uh, that's a good answer. Now, now it's got me thinking. It's probably gonna, after we're done recording, I'm just gonna sit here in the basement with the music going. Um, yeah, if it wasn't, if it obviously, uh, the question about what would you like to be talented at, I would love to be more talented at more uh, jiu-jitsu, but I have confidence that will come with time. So I think if I had never gone near jiu-jitsu, I definitely think dance, um, particularly hip hop, R and B, would have been where I ended up, in addition to weightlifting, yeah. Sure, yeah, and, uh, yeah. with jiu-jitsu, I mean, since you're already in that arena, you'll get there. <laughs> so, I mean, you're already, you know, you're you're moving in that direction anyway, so it's only a matter of time before, you know, you're, you know, a black belt, so you'll be there. Um, one day, one day. It's a very, it feels like a very, very long way off, but I, I hear a lot of black, I'll say, you know, it creeps up very quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. It's, I mean, just when, when you're not expecting, you know, just belt promotions, period. Mm. It's like, great. I, I, I was the same when I got my B belt. I had no idea at all it was coming. I really, really didn't. I, I spent uh, about five years at White Belt because I got to surgery number seven. <laughs> and, um, that had a big impact on my ability to train and compete. So um, we're at this open mat and Gareth tells me that a couple of people are getting strikes. So we all line up. There are a lot, a lot of non-native English speakers there. So I'm listening, waiting to translate. And then it hits me that I'm getting promoted. So I like legit burst into tears. I'm so shocked because it, it really does mean so much to me. And um, Oh my goodness, I cried and cried. And I was in shock for about four days. <laughs> and I, when I get promoted to purple, I will cry. And I am an ugly crier, but totally unapologetic about it because it jiu-jitsu takes so much um, dedication and passion that, you know, I'll cry if I want to, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, you earned it, you deserve it. You can do, you can do what you want. It was like, like, why is she crying? I earned this, damn it. I can cry. Um, so that that was the video you uh, shared the other day. Yeah, I, I shared my Blue Belt promotion the other day because it's one of the happiest and most, well, of my journey so far in Shih Tzu, it's one of the most special days. But I ended up taking it down from Instagram because I was getting a lot of congratulations on receiving my mm. purple belt. And I was like, no, it doesn't say that. It was, um, it was, the video was a minute long. So I shared it on my stories and my instructor quite clearly says that it's my blue belt I'm getting. But on the last, um, on the last clip of the video, I say, and I already know I will cry at purple, but because there's a lot of non-native English speakers on my 
Instagram, I took it down because I was getting these congratulatory messages. And although you can actually see it's a blue belt, I didn't want to be accused of whatever the opposite of sandbagging is. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. And I saw the video uh, come through through the stories and it was really cool. I was like, dude, that's really cool. Like I understood that it was because I didn't hear anything to it, but I saw what it was and kind of pieced together. I was like, oh, I think I commented. I was like, dude, this is really cool to see. It was so. April the 1st and my instructor mm -hmm. is known as being quite a big joker. But if he had turned around and said April Fool's, that I, he would he, he wouldn't have done that but then i thought about it afterwards i was like goodness if he had what would i have done but he's not that cruel thankfully i mm, i i don't know that yeah See, that's too much that's 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 cruel that's too much that wouldn't he wouldn't do that in the back of my mind i'm like yes that's horrible but i'm also thinking dude i know some people i would do that too <laughs> like there's there's at least three people you know if i had that opportunity you're like dude today's the day and then it's not then i promote them the next day though you know if i had that power um what is something that you like that most people don't um i would say writing writing academic papers i love academic writing i love research it's a huge passion of mine and not something I talk about a huge amount, to be honest. I really love researching. I really love, you know, doing li literature reviews, that kind of thing. And a lot of people don't, they see it as a, a task that's necessary, but boring. And I don't find it boring. I really love um, writing and what helped me in academia to write well was the amount of reading I did. I, you know, it's like, I know you like the research. It, I guess that I was shocked the, that that was your answer, though. <laughs> I, was, I was like, hmm, really? Okay. I do proofread a lot of academic papers, and I really enjoy that because um, it's such a wide range of disciplines, whether it's physiology or education or business you know, and everything in between um, STEM and science, technology, engineering, maths. I find it all really interesting. I did proofread um, a dissertation on concrete, a thesis on concrete. I have to admit that was a little bit less interesting, but still you learn new things. All right. So I have three cards here in my hand. Okay. This is one. Oh, mm -hmm. wait, wait. This is one, two, and three. Pick one. It's got to be the middle one because the middle one represents first place on the podium in jiu-jitsu. I like the way you think. <laughs> All right. If you're given $100,000, you have to donate it or create a charity. What charity or where are you donated? I would donate to Mind the mental health charity in the UK. It's a very good charity, does some very important work. And as you know, mental health is a topic very close to my heart. And um, there is such an, an issue in the UK with lack of resources 
and funding for mental health services in our public system that a lot of people do reach out to charities like Mind um, for psychological support, but there's only so much they can do as a lot of the people who work for them are volunteers, which is often the case. So I would definitely donate $100,000 to them. I agree. I think there needs to be more just care in that realm. There's such such uh, unfortunate stigmas and just people handle matters differently and then others look down upon it and we need to get away from that. We need to yeah. all care more and be kinder to each other. So thank you for that. So uh, Tiana, thank you as always for doing this with us here. Uh, you know, I do appreciate you, you know, giving your time to be my guest. Uh, it's always fun. It's always, you know, great conversing with you. So uh, you have any shout outs or mentions you'd like to add in there for us? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. It's been good fun. I've enjoyed it as usual. Um, shout out to Chris at Excess Guard Mouthguard. Shout out to Hyperfly Europe for their continued support, especially with my surgeries and not being able to compete recently. Huge shout out to Dr. Carl Vescobi, who is my sports injury psychologist. He can be found on Instagram with the handle the injury psychologist. And also shout out to Chris at Enhanced. Um, he owns a company that has very, very high quality CBD products. And you can use my code Tiana BJJ10 to get 10% off everything on their website. And I will pass you over the link. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I'll make sure yeah, to have all that information set up in the show notes so everybody can get a hold of that information. And as always, thank you, everyone. I, I do appreciate it. Um, if you all have any questions, concerns, criticisms, reach out to me. You can find me at bjj.wiki or Off The Mats Podcast, both on Instagram. Um, hey, you know, I'm an open book, so you ain't going to hurt my feelings if you say, dude, you need to change this or you need to change that. Just let me know. I probably won't do it, but <laughs> let me know. Uh, big shout out to my friend Mike over at Asgard503. Go check him out on Instagram and go check out the website as well, uh, Asgard503.com. He's got some great rash guards, geese, um, spats, you name it, he's got it. Go check him out. And and not only that, I mean, this man, like, he's putting in the work over there. So he's completely hands-on. So please, please go check out Mike over at Asgard503 on Instagram and Asgard503.com. Go, go give him a look. Also, big shout-out to my good friends Shut Up Nut and Nevik over at the Razzle Dazzle Podcast. They have been a guest a couple different times on the show, and... I listened to their podcast about the TV show Lost. So if you guys are into that, go check it out. And even, even if you're not really into Lost and it's something you're still curious about, I definitely recommend listening to their show. Nevik does a great job with the research that he puts into you know, each episode and and just all the details that they both discuss. It's, it's a phenomenal show. So please go check them out. 
And then last shout out is to my other podcast. So you like horror, horror. So you like horror podcasts. It's about horror movies. And the most recent episode, we discuss soundtracks and scores. In the next upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about Stephen King. So if you're into that kind of thing, go check it out. I think you'll like it. I do. Um, Otherwise, thank you, everyone. Love you to death. You guys keep listening. I'm going to keep making these shows. Thank you so much, everyone. Ciao. They promised. Now let me see his song.